0: This is Chris David and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name's Matt Boisclare and we're here to look ahead to Fulham's next game under the Craven Cottage Lights on Friday night It's Jonathan Woodgate's Middlesbrough visit West London. I'm joined by Will Oakley and Morgan Cowton. but before we look ahead to the game, we're going to look back at a Fulham legend with a connection to both clubs. Fulham. Right, so our former Australian international goalkeeper Mark Schwarzer was a model professional on the pitch for Fulham. Having spent 10 seasons with Friday night's opponents in the northeast of England, he left Middlesbrough to join the hordes of Australians in West London, where he would be Fulham's undisputed number one for five seasons. I'm going to come to you first, Will. What did you think when Mark Schwarzer signed for Fulham?
0: Well, I can't remember that much from when Schwarzer was at the club, but what I can remember was him saving us a lot of times because play players seem to just, you know, let forwards through, but and any other keeper would have let that in, but somehow he managed to pull it off. And honestly, the amount of faith that our defenders must have had in him must have been unreal.
1: Yeah, he did he did breathe confidence through the team, that's for sure. So he signed for us in two thousand and eight. So how old would you have been then? Uh
0: five
1: Oh, what, you can't remember? Well, fuck you, sake. Will. <laughs> it's graceful. <laughs> All right, Morgz, what about you? You must remember it being a,
2: a tad older. Uh, yeah, yeah, being a tad older. I think, you know, at the time when we did sign him, it was, um, you know, it was off the back of the great escape. We knew things had to be changed dramatically to make sure that we didn't have uh, a similar season. And I think, you know, bringing in a keeper of that quality um, who had done, you know, spent the last 10, 11 seasons at Middlesbrough. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it just showed that we had the intention of really solidifying our back four. And obviously having brought in um, Angland's partner Hughes and it started to sort of gel very nicely towards the end of the season, uh, just adding that extra element uh, with Schwarzer at the back, which um, just really, it really helped. And, you know, it's, it's, fair to say that we haven't really replaced him since
1: a club of our size though arguably might get one or two great goalkeepers in in our lifetime but we had van der Sar, and then we had mark Schwarzer very quickly afterwards so in in a lot of ways we were just we were blessed with goalkeepers weren't we as as you and i kind of i was going to say grew up i guess we were already grown up by the time would joined but you know you know what i mean
2: well i had tony lang in, as the first yeah. keeper I ever saw play, so that's
1: <laughs> slightly that. um, But yeah, it's kind of you.
2: I think you know as well. You know, we spoke a while back about Mike Taylor. Uh, you yeah. know, he was a quality keeper as well. And you know, we sort of you know went from Taylor to Van der Sar and then obviously there was a bit of a gap. We had a few people come in. Uh, you know, Casey Keller was no mug. Anthony Amy was decent, uh, uh, but Schwartz was kind of their next step up. And I think you know we were very lucky to have him for five seasons. Obviously, there was interest along the way, um, Arsenal in particular. Um, they, you know, he could have gone to Bayern or Juve before he joined us. Uh, but apparently, they can uh, guarantee him the number one spot. You know, at Juve, obviously they had Buffon, uh, which is why Schwarzer left. Uh, not Schwarzer, so that's why Van der Sire left in the first place.
1: Yeah. So
2: you know, we were we were very lucky to get a keeper of that quality, um, especially after the season we just had. So obviously the club had been sold to him by Hodgson, or by Outfired as well. So when we did get him, it was like, okay, great. You know, this is another quality keeper who we need to keep hold of and not let it just be a stopgap like they had been for the previous couple of seasons.
1: I believe he was a free transfer as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, his contract ran out at Middlesbrough, so it was uh, a. He was can you... he had the option to stay there. It was off a new contract. Um, turn it down because obviously having been there for so long, he wanted to try something a bit different. I think you know a lot of people thought it was either a backwards move, or you know at least a very least a sideways step. But uh, he came in, and, you know, he did wonders for us, and obviously saw another European final, um, mm. which he had done at Middlesbrough as well.
1: Can you think of a better free transfer? that Fulham had made. I can't. Yari Lipmanen. Legend, <laughs> of course, Yari Litman, and why not? <laughs> no, <laughs> Who's that, who that idiot we signed this time last year as well? The Serbian Markovic, oh. oh, laser, yeah.
0: No, we signed him on a six month free, I think. Jeez, Brilliant. he was.
2: Where did he go? Did he go to another club, or is he kind of you know? I, feel, I think running. he's one of the cleaners at Maltzburg Park now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think have trusted to do that
1: mate <laughs> <laughs> alright well Fulham finished 7th in March Schwartz's first season uh, the 2008-09 season where he was player of the season I believe for Fulham what a first season for the club and even more remarkable when you consider that he was back and forth for internationals with Australia but he never showed a dip in form I would come to you on this Will but um, you would have been 5 or 6 so I'm going to give yeah, back to Morgan not not anyway.
0: that early on
2: <laughs> well you know one of the things when you're playing sort of internationals for australia i mean as well as the as, as we've all done hmm? as we've all done as we've all done i did it you know <laughs> <laughs> um but one of the things they do do uh, because they know how many european players especially at that time it's actually not so much this um at the moment um but uh they played a lot of games over this side of the world so because of the sort of the European influence on the squad, they had a, a lot of games, you know, there were a number of them at Craven Cottage um, or Loftus Road or wherever or somewhere in Europe. So the players weren't having to travel 24 hours to get there and therefore, you know, screwing up the body clocks for long periods of time. Um, but he did come in and it was the immediate impact that he made there was, you know, it was phenomenal. I mean, he came in and he played every game of that season. He kept 15 clean sheets uh, from looking at some stats. Um, And, you know, that's having just come off the back of such a terrible year to do something like that. I mean, obviously credit to Hodgson as well. But, you know, sort of having someone between the sticks that the defence had that much confidence in, um, you know, was something that we just weren't used to having just seen uh you know Sanchez's football just before that
1: yeah quite all right well I'm, I'm going to come to you now Will then uh, the Europa League run uh, it was a couple of years later you may not remember it from the time but you must have seen it since um his contributions to that incredible season is there anything in particular that you can remember that stands out and also the winning goal in the final from Diego Forlan do you think he might have done better on another day with that one
0: yeah, I mean, it was unlucky. Obviously, I've seen all the goals, the highlights, but he, you know, to keep, obviously, we didn't do that well in the first leg against Juventus, but we only conceded, I'm pretty sure it was 4-1 in the second leg, to only concede, you know, one to a team like Juventus in a whole 90-minute game, it's, it's it has to be great for a goalkeeper to achieve that.
1: Yeah, but uh, that's the thing, though. It, to, to have a quality goalkeeper behind the defence, as I said earlier on, it breathes confidence into the whole team yeah. through the defence and into the rest of the team. And you, you can't um, you can't turn your nose up at something like that. You, you have to acknowledge the fact that when well, you've got a great goalkeeper behind you, I mean, you know, I'm, I don't want to put any, any one individual down, so I'm, I'm not going to. But imagine, like... Um, you Know Man City, if they had a crap goalkeeper in the team, they wouldn't be half the team they are, and the, yeah. their whole style relies on the fact that they've got this whole sweeper keeper thing. Um, yeah, well, I think you need to and, look at Liverpool,
2: really, don't you? I mean, where since Alisson came in and replaced Carius and Mignolet, yeah. mm-hmm. the whole team's changed
1: exactly. You know, there is exactly.
2: it's it's gone, it's amazing how one player, um, you know, who for large portions of the game is fairly ineffective can actually yeah. change a whole team um but it that's, is the case
1: because if a goalkeeper doesn't have something to do for the whole game as well but he's still alert enough to in the 89th minute pluck one out the top corner which the top keepers do all the time you see it every week um then you know they're, they're earning their money so, so they're winning the points um so yes all right Mork, so, um, any any standout moments from the Europa League that, that you can remember
2: uh well yeah, as we all know, I was living in Schwartz's homeland at the time uh so but I think just the it's hard to focus on one player on that I think you know he was just the whole tournament was just amazing, even if I was watching at four thirty in the morning and for the most part uh but you know he you know i'm i'm trying I'm trying to remember. Bits. I think Shakhtar would have been one of those games where yeah. he was, uh, you know, at his best because obviously they were coming at us in, you know, uh, wave after wave of attack. Yeah. Um, but he was just, you know, in those situations. He'd done it before. He'd got to the Europa League final with Middlesbrough a few seasons earlier. And so he knew what level you had to play it against against some of these yeah. teams, these sort of unknown teams. Um, and he, he would have just been that calm, calm, collected head, experience, very professional and he would have, you know, been able to sort of, you know, put his, uh, put his mark on the team, um, off the pitch as well as on the pitch, in the lead-up and during those games.
1: Put his yeah, mark on the always... team, I like what you've done there, like what you uh, done. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Will.
0: Uh, I was just going to say that I think what you are saying about off the pitch as well, he's such an experienced goalkeeper and off the pitch he must have you know helped the team so much in the dressing rooms before the games and on the training pitch and in training he he sees the game from a different perspective goalkeepers do and the fact that he's played at the highest level it just must have helped so much
1: yeah i think so uh, and you you hear him now in the media as well you can tell he's a clever guy um, and and he's good yeah. to listen to when he's when he's on the bbc as well and um, the one thing i can remember about the europa league i mean there, there's not it was 10 over 10 years ago now um, which seems ridiculous, but you don't remember the saves so much as you remember the um, the, the moments of glory. You know your Dempsey goals, your Bobby Zamora against Shakhtar, and you know, Simon Davison's open et etc., against Hamburg. But the the one I can remember him saving a penalty in the in the group game at home against um, against Roma. But then Roma did go go on and score in the last minute. Um, but one thing I've always wondered, and it will always be one of those what ifs if um, if it had happened. Uh, had we held on and gone to penalties, I think he would have become a real Fulham hero that night. I've, I really feel like we would have won that penalty shootout. Yep. Yeah. Want to
2: keep that confidence there? <laughs> so yeah, I no, I, I, don't I don't know. It's just, it's
1: just one yeah. of those things. Where every, it, the whole, the whole Fulham end. It didn't look like we were going to go and uh, mm-hmm. go and score in, in extra time. But if we'd have got to the penalty shootout. I think everybody was kind of relying on that. And as we were walking out, we were going, we'd have won that if it had got to penalties. We won't ever know if we would have done, but I fancied Mark Schwarzer from penalties.
2: Who was the who was the uh, Atletico keeper? Well
1: keeper? Yeah. Um Mr was Gea, wasn't it? Yes, I think it was.
0: Feel like it might have
2: been. Yeah. He's yeah. all right though, isn't he? I've he's heard of him. Right.
0: Yeah. He's alright. <laughs> he, he would have not been a
2: couple of years older than Will at that point, I think. <laughs> yeah, he
0: was he was Yeah, he was young at that point.
1: Um, all right, let's let's move on then. So um I was chatting to Danny earlier and said to him, What do you remember about Mark Schwarzer and um any any key points to bring up? And he said, ask this one, do you think that Schwarzer was fortunate to have played behind our greatest ever since about partnership in Hughes and Hangerland? Or do you think he contributed to what made them so great? Or do you think it was a bit of give and take?
0: Contributed. I think yeah. 100%. Yeah. I don't think it's just, it's just about the center back partnership or the center back and the full backs. The fact that those center backs have someone behind them, you know, telling them where to be. Again, it all comes back to him being an experienced goalkeeper playing yeah. at the highest level. He knows where those where they should be at at points in time and you see goalkeepers, you know, shouting, controlling their box and it's the keepers that don't do that that where the defenses all over the place, but the fact that there's a goalkeeper, it really controls the defence and keeps them in shape.
1: So are you saying that Hughes and Hanglem wouldn't have been the partnership they were if David Button had been behind them?
0: Well, I mean <laughs> I think they would have still been great, but no I think I think Schwarzer added to that hundred percent.
1: No, good, good stuff. What
0: about you, Moles?
2: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I was going to make the point it's like, do you think had you know Betts been the number one at the time uh, would Hughes and Hangler have been, you know, half the partnership they were. And I just, you know, tactically, I was sort of, you know, as uh, technical professional footballers, they were both great. But to have someone behind you who, as we said earlier, reads the game from the goalkeeper's point of view, but also reads it incredibly well, um, that would have been, you know, you know, made a massive difference to how they played. And you know, they you know, their partnership was amazing. Um, but you know, it's very rare that you hear Schwarzer getting credit for how well the team defended because obviously it was about those two blockers. And yeah. so I think, you know, in future conversations, you know, it should be about the three of them, not just the two of them.
1: Yeah. I think that's a totally fair point and I agree with you. Here's a stat for you then. So <clears throat> Mark Schwarzer is third on the Premier League all time list for clean sheets behind Petachek and David James. He's got 151 clean sheets, with 56 of those coming whilst playing for Fulham. He's also eighth on the all-time appearances in Premier League history. He famously left Fulham in 2013 at the age of 40, and he was replaced by Martin Stecklenberg. What a deflating replacement he was. (laughs)
2: Yeah, uh, he'd been, his name had wafted around the club for a good couple of seasons by that point and i um i remember i was talking to a guy who actually he was my housemate at the times uh mate and he actually worked at the club and steckenberg had been there a few months by this point and he said yeah he just comes in He he's really there just for the money he has yeah. you know his terrible attitude and i'll say allegedly just to cover my ass on this one but yeah. apparently allegedly had a terrible attitude didn't have any interest in you know doing any of the extra activities that the players are sort of you know encouraged to do around the club. Uh, came in, got his paycheck, got out, and made very little impact in the time that he was there. And it was a shame because you know having followed Stecklenburg for a bit, you knew he was a quality keeper. You know he was the Dutch number one. He mm. was I uh, can't remember where we got him from, but I mean he was you know a very very decent goalkeeper. But if he you know someone comes in with the attitude that, you know, I'm better than everyone here, um, it's not going to last very well. And he
1: He might have been the Dutch number one, but he's not even the best Dutch number one that's ever played for Fulham.
2: Well, there is that, yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, we probably have arguably the best Dutch keeper of all time, having played for us. So, you know. oh, you know, let's
1: you know. Don't need, we don't need to go into that level of detail. He just wasn't the best Dutch number one to ever play for Fulham. Let's leave it at that. Well, mm. <laughs> Schwarzer ended up signing for Chelsea for two seasons before then signing for Leicester. His league contribution for both of those sides was pretty minimal, but he was still part of a title-winning squad in back-to-back seasons. Don't think any Fulham fan would have begrudging that, would they? Will?
0: No, I don't think so. He he made such a massive contribution to Fulham. There's nothing you can take away from that, and he was a he was a great for the club.
1: He was, he was, and then he he ended up getting a couple of Premier League winners medals, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but there you I go.
2: Think, I think from his point of view, you know, forty years old, you're not you're not pushing for a first uh, first team place, or at least you know number one Premier League hmm. uh, player, um, and I think. From his point of view, he lived in the area. His kids were at school in the area. Uh, he it was settled. And a move to Chelsea to be on their bench was probably ideal, picking up a, you know, few few thousand pounds a week to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So where does he rank amongst the greatest goalkeepers you've seen in the Fulham shirt, Morgs?
2: um i'd have to say second second or well, second equal with taylor i guess you know he's yeah. uh, obviously um van der Star be number 1 but yeah between schwarzer and taylor i mean the thing is they both had similar qualities in the sense that they both marshaled the defense as well great shot stoppers good crossing uh, ability you know rarely put a foot wrong so very solid keepers that you need you know behind your back four Mm-hmm. How we do it and i think you know ha- there hasn't been a keeper since Schwarzer that i would put anywhere near him in oh, God, you know, quality and which is a massive shame because we've obviously missed opportunities to sign decent keepers and we've bought yeah. in a lot of jobbers in that time i mean you look at you look at some of the ones that have come in and it's just been right. an absolute shambles uh, you just wonder how hard it is to find a keeper who, you know, doesn't need to be a starting Premier League keeper. Could be a, you know, someone, you know, who'd been warming the bench for a couple of seasons, but you know is a decent, decent keeper. Um, but so far we've managed to not to do it. And hopefully, you know, fingers crossed touch wood, Marek Rodek is turning into that keeper. But I mean, you just have a look and it's like, ah, okay, we we need something quick because this has been our biggest, well, one of our biggest downfalls over mm-hmm. the last few seasons.
1: It definitely has. I, I think I'd agree with you in that Van der Salle would be my my number one Fulham goalkeeper of all time. I, I love Mike Taylor. He's one of my one of my favourites ever. Um, but I just think because of the Europa run, I'd have to put Schwarzer in second yeah. place and then Taylor third because Mike Taylor, whilst he got got promoted out of Division Two and Division One, both with over one hundred points, it's a major European final and he was he played a major part um, in getting us there. What about you, Will? <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I must have only seen Schwarzer for a season or two, but a hundred percent, he would be. He would, for me, actually seeing it would be Schwarzer. But over overall, I think I would definitely put Van der Sar first from you know videos and everything. Mm.
2: Yeah, historical archives.
1: archives. (laughs) Yeah, that's the beauty of having such an age range on on the show. There, you know, you get you get a very um, a variety of opinions, and that's what it's all about. So that's that's cool. All right, well he had seventy three clean sheets and two hundred and twenty appearances. Now I'm gonna ask you to rate his Fulham career out of ten. Will, I'll come to you first.
0: I'm gonna to have to say nine, to be honest, because you know he did he did well in the league coming in after everything that happened and then the Europa League run as well. Yeah, nine out of ten.
1: Top man. All right. And more what about you? Now, I remember when we had our Mike Taylor chat, and I think, I'm pretty sure we both gave Mike Taylor a 10.
2: We, we did. And I think that was very much because he was, uh, you know, just such a character as well in terms of yeah. being part of that squad. I think, you know, if I'm going to be more critical on this one, just from a point of view of performances and stuff, but, you know, I can't go any lower than a nine. You know, mm-hmm. i might. You know, in theory, could give him a ten as well because I can't think of anything that he did particularly wrong, and he also was part of that. You know, essentially, the resurrection of the, uh, the football club from yeah. you know 15 minutes from being relegated to yeah. Europa League finalists. So yeah, swinging between nine and a ten just for for that.
1: Nine and a half. Yeah, why not? I think the difference between somebody like Mike Taylor and somebody like Schwarzer is that it almost felt like Mike Taylor was one of us. Very normal, mm. down-to-earth guy. And I don't know um, whether Mark Schwartz is or not. I, I don't know enough about him. Oh, is mate, it, Aussies. A
2: they're, all, yeah. they're all one
1: of us, mate. You know, but, they're all yeah, friendly, yeah. dinky-dye, blue Aussies. I know. I, th- I think he does a lot for charity as well, I seem to remember. And I remember reading something about him and his wife. They've got a foundation or something. Might have made that up, but there's definitely something in it. He might have them. But... him. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but my, um, my point was going to be that he was just a bit of a superstar and that, that's how he came across you know an Aussie legend been to the World Cup a few times countless appearances for, for the national team and, and that was the difference between them but anyway I'll get to my point I'm going to give him a 10 as well I can't, I can't give him any lower than a 10 I can't give him lower than Mike Taylor because you know he got us to a European final so that's, that's that alright that's, um, that's Mark Schwarzer done let's have a look forward to Friday night's match Fulham I am going to come to you for a lineup prediction. Will what do you reckon? In actual fact, this is what I said to the lads last time I did this. I think Scott Parker is impossible to second guess uh, because he seems to pull, pull a surprise out the um, out the hat each week. So, what starting eleven would you play?
0: So obviously Rodak in goal. I can think Bettinelli will be going soon anyway, considering mm. he was completely dropped or even off the bench last uh, against yeah. Hull, unless he's um, injured. Yeah, but I, he—I think he was quite annoyed about being left out of the Villa squad as well, not starting in that. So,
1: oh well. just be better then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah.
2: I think you're a motivational speaker as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just be better. Why don't you? Yeah.
0: Now I wasn't at the at the game against Hull, but from what I've heard, Ream played quite well. Yeah. Um. So I can actually see him going five at the back with Reem okay. Hector Mawson, um, and I think Brian will get back into the squad if we're playing five at the back because he's better as a left wing back pushing forwards as we saw, kind of against Villa he did play as a left wing but he could also drop back into the five as well. What about um, this uh, then,
1: Joe? Joe Brian um, left on the bench on Saturday. Tactical or is it because he's going to Watford?
0: Tactical for yeah. me because. Okay. We saw everyone's been saying how you know on Twitter and things, most reliable source, of course, um, of course that Brian's been good going forwards, but a bit of a liability at the back because yeah. I think I can't remember the stat exactly, but it was quite a high percentage of goals were coming from that left side that Brian or the right side that Brian's yeah. defending. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as the with the defence, I can see him going five at the back to be honest. Um, but, again, like you say, who knows? It could be four at a back, it could be five, it could be... Who knows? Um, as for the midfield, Kenny was on the bench against Hull and I think he's supposed to be fit for Friday's game. k started against Hull as well. I don't know if he played well at all. And Arta was on the bench after, obviously, the Villa game where he was absolutely amazing. So, midfield... I think it could be Kenny Arter and is Harrison Reid still injured?
1: I think he is. He I didn't think play maybe in the weekend.
0: Maybe maybe Arter Johansson Kearney or Arter, McDonald Kenny or O'Nomer as well. Yeah. It, oh yeah, Josh. Who, Josh. who knows? Um forward wise, I th- I'm assuming Kamara's injured because he's been left out of the last few squads. Yeah. Um Cav played at striker against Villa. Personally, I didn't think he was that great, but he played well against Hull again. But I can see him playing on the left, Bobby uh, Reid at striker and Nockhart at right wing. But as we know, they can all interchange. Cav can play left, right and striker. Nockhart can play left, right. And I assume he can probably do a job at striker as well as Bobby Reed can play left, right and striker as well. So yeah. They can all, you know, swap round interchange. Yeah.
1: We're assuming that Mitrovic is going to be injured, of course, but we'll come on to that. What about you, Hawks? Yeah, any any changes to that? Um, I think we
2: might see one change in midfield. I think if Kenny is fit, he might draft him back in, uh, possibly in place of well in theory, in place of Mitro and then maybe push Reed up and Mm -hmm. have Kenny drop back. I think McDonald, he's played the last two matches and he's done pretty well. So maybe he'll keep him in. Uh, He is kind of that sort of rock, uh, you know, in front of the defence. And I can't see him making too many changes. I mean, unless he wants to counteract Middlesbrough's formation because they always play three, four, two, one, I think it is. And so if he's gonna go three three at the back, um with you'd assume would be Hector, Reem and Mawson, and then mm-hmm. play with wing backs, which you'd imagine would be um Cyrus and Brian. But as you say, you can never second guess him. So considering how we did against Hull, um I would say he's probably not gonna change it up that much. I think maybe you know it would just be that enforced change. Um which obviously be metro by the sounds of
1: it. Yeah, I think um, as Will said as well. I think if if he's fit, he starts. That's um, Josh Onuma. He does seem to favour Josh Onuma, and mm. um, he really started playing well before his injury. Well, they, so, they showed
2: his heat. They showed his heat map on the yeah. uh, on the Fulham Twitter, and it's just like you know he's all over the place, and he's starting to have a little. You know, he's he's getting the hang of it now. I mean, he was so seemed so toothless when he started, but he's yeah. now really sort of you know finding his way and. I think it was you know slightly unfair to think he was going to do it straight away um but I think he's been given the time uh Parker has kept faith for them which is great I mean that's that's a great sort of um you know an ability of a manager to sort of you know sh- show confidence in a player who he clearly knows uh is decent even if we can't yeah. quite see it ourselves um through our sort of uh, our supporting eyes and you know he's done that and i think it's starting to pay dividends whether he can do it for the rest of the season who knows but you know it right now it's he's looking like a sort of bit of a mainstay in the starting 11.
1: yeah just to show you that you need a bit of patience sometimes as supporters
2: no we're not having patience we are full of fans we are (laughs) football fans we do not do patience
1: (laughs) i consider myself told (laughs) looking back to the uh the reverse fixture at the riverside Marek rodek had a nightmare in just his second league start for Fulham, and um, but but now he's surely only narrowly behind Mitro in the race for player of the season. As Danny said on the pod earlier this week, he wins us points. Will, what do you think?
0: I think Rodak is, uh, honestly. Who knew? It it was unreal the way he just came into the squad, and obviously, like you said, the second his second start against Middlesbrough, obviously that did not go very well, but since then he he's he's been incredible uh, and also another thing i've noticed is he is one of them keepers that does like to control his box he he doesn't stop shouting the whole game and when you know when um the opposition gets chances he's there shouting at the defense whether it's the fullbacks the center backs you know he he's saying close them down that that's a chance yeah. and we were lucky it didn't go in um i think he made a really good save against Hull from watching the highlights but i can't exactly remember and yeah. he saved a one on one against villa i think which wasn't the best shot admittedly but he still did well to get down to it and it does seem to be the one on ones that he he somehow gets to which is is yeah. unreal it's beyond me well, that's saved saved Elgarzi, it, right? that save from elgarza
2: that save from elgarza in the last with the last kick of the first half
0: yeah villa. yeah that's Brilliant. the one I mean, yeah yeah yeah
2: that was one of those Saves where you you know the defense part like the Red Sea, and he yeah. was just there. And you know, there's no way he should be saving that. I mean, El Ghazi should be putting that away, no problem. Uh, but he anticipated it and he got down well. And you know, that's a sign that you know, that's a sign of a uh, keeper that we can start having confidence in. Uh, because I don't think Betts would have saved <clears throat> it. Uh, you know, no. But no, I just no. think I just don't think he would have done. Uh, well, so
1: I seem to remember when so when Rodak first got in the team. Um, I, th- I think I was talking to you on one of the shows and you said that although he's played for Rotherham in a relegation battle, is he ready for a promotion battle? I'm not sure, maybe we need a new keeper. So have you changed your stance on that now, having, having seen him play for a few months? Yes.
2: Um, I think when he first came in, he looked very nervy. Obviously, yeah. 12 minutes into his second game, being sent off for what was a fairly rash decision, um, yeah. you know, did not sort of... <laughs> Filled me with a load of confidence like you know most people that saw him um and you know playing for someone like rotherham when you're battling relegation or fighting for promotion from league one is a very different beast to playing for Fulham, who you know promotion is imperative um so mm. it was whether he could settle in you know in that quicker time and you know full credit to him he has improved and he's improved markedly in the sort of time that he's been between the sticks. And it's it's things like that that are so frustrating when you compare him to Betts because mm. Betts has not improved. Whereas Rodak's come in and in a short space of time, he's looking like he was made to be number one. And that's, you know, I wish it was Bettenelli, because obviously yeah. he's been there for so long. Yeah. You know, and we were all expecting him to sort of, Become that keeper, but he really hasn't. Family, so, family
1: connections, running around Wembley, waving a flare above his head. Yeah, exactly. All that, exactly, sort of all
2: fun, that jazz. But, you know. Yeah. Um But it's you know Rodak has obviously taken that step up and really cemented his place in the team. I and mean, yeah. all credit to him.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. and I was just I was just going to say I don't his shot stopping is obviously amazing, but also his ball distribution is yeah. is great. He how someone can hit a ball that far with you know mm. so such. Little kind of it—it it just looks like he's not putting that much force into it. Yeah, it's—it's it's unreal. And he's tall. I think he's six five. I think. Yeah. And yeah, you know, he, he puts his body in the way. He—he's—he's he's prepared to do anything.
1: It's funny what you say about distribution as well, and how it looks like he's not making any effort. Yet he gets so much mm. distance on it. Whereas yeah, it yeah. looked like he was making all the effort in the world well and just always going out for a throwing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah frustrating but there you go I, I love Bets. don't get me wrong but yeah it's a, yeah there's a it's a mark a, a marked improvement on on best and early is Rodak yeah okay well let's, let's come to the uh, the real the real nitty gritty then uh, the lads talked about this earlier in the week but we haven't spoken about this yet so let's let's talk about Mitro we're assuming at this stage we're recording on uh, Monday evening um that he's going to be out for a while how much of a loss is he he's got I think 18 in 26 this season we're going to miss him, aren't we? Of
2: course, we are. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we said on, um, you know, on another podcast uh, that you know, we rely so heavily on his goals, and we haven't, as a team, contributed enough uh, outside of his strikes. Really? And if that doesn't change, then we're in trouble. However, you know, when I was writing about the Villa game, I said. You know, are these players playing with a bit more openness because Mitro wasn't there being the focal point of every attack? It was almost like in the days of Berbatov, where, you know, the keep calm, give me the ball. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with Mitro out, does that give uh, a knockout Caballero and even like Bobby Reed? Or, you know, do we see Jay Stansfield, you know, being our next super, super kid coming into the team? And, you know, maybe maybe it isn't the sort of the worst thing ever. I mean, you know, really hope this injury isn't serious and he's only out for a few games. But it would have taken a lot to get him on a stretcher. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. so you've got to you've got to imagine that it wasn't just a sort of, you know, scratch knee. It must have been something fairly serious. Yeah, I think it's ankle.
1: Will, is it the end of the world losing Mitro? Um,
0: I don't think it's the end of the world. But yeah, it's a, it's a big loss for the next few games. I mean he Despite not putting in you know great performances for us in the premier league, Premier League, he still scored a fair few goals in a very you know a struggling team and he i think he is premier league standard a standard player and in a championship team fighting for promotion, that is a big loss um and but yeah like like you say against villa we did play with more kind of fluidity we were we weren't, you know, passing the ball to Mitrovic, and he was holding it up, and it was going backwards. We were, you know, playing o- over the top because we have the we have the pace. Um, Mitrovic is the best finisher in the team, which obviously is something we're going to miss. But maybe we'll create more chances because we can go through the middle more. Because obviously, with Mitrovic, we tend to go out on the wings, get the ball in the box, or or just you know anything like that. But maybe with uh Bobby Reed Cav Knockart. Knockout, if they're going to play obviously um they can they can you know make a few more runs and like I was saying earlier they can interchange around and maybe make a few more opportunities or if not different opportunities
1: I agree with you and I know uh, Scott Parker said before that Bobby Reed is more of a central midfielder than uh, a center forward but I just think having him playing through the middle his movement will just pull defenders out of position and create space for others. Yeah. And I think having Kearney playing in behind him, he'll thrive off of that because there'll be, yeah. there'll be more to aim at and more angles. Whereas with Mitro there, he just kind of stands there. He doesn't stand there. That's, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But you, you know what I mean? He's more he's more yeah, static yeah. than a Bobby Reed, And he'll hold the ball up. You kick you the ball into Mitro, it sticks to him. Whereas Bobby Reed looks to run onto through balls, that sort of thing. Yeah, so yeah. I just, I... it'll be interesting to see how the dynamic would change.
2: It'll also be interesting to see how Middlesbrough line up because they would have basically, you know, you know, they would have based their tactics against us on Metro playing. Now, Parker's going to have to change his tactics in this game. He's going to have to change his style of play Hmm. to accommodate, you know, a Metro-less team. So do we revert how we played against um, uh, Villa or is there a new, you know, jack up his sleeve? Ace up his sleeve. Let's go, let's go ace. Let's not go jack. Possibly, possibly.
1: OK, let's, um, let's have a look at the stats then. Stato sent me the, uh, the lovely stats over, so let's have a look. Previous result uh, between Fulham and Middlesbrough this season was 0-0 at the Riverside Stadium. As we previously mentioned, Barrett Rodak was sent off early on. Very few chances in the game. After, after that, after playing us that day, Barra had played 14 games and had 12 points, and they were sat 22nd in the table. They're now 16th on 33 points. They, but prior to their two-all draw with Derby at the weekend, they won their last four league games on the bounce, including an impressive 2-0 win at the Hawthorns against top of the league, West Brom. Um, They had a very strong December. They won four out of six games. Uh, Their increase in form also correlates with uh, their top scorer, Ashley Fletcher, coming into form. He's got eight goals and four assists this season. Will, over to you.
0: So we didn't have as much possession in the game as we usually do in away games. We had 44%. We usually have 58 But that is understandable, having a player sent off in the 10-minute 10 10 minute mark, which obviously we've spoken about. Um, again, everything just was a bit lower than average with our pass success lower, shots lower, shots on target lower, tackles lower, and even saves lower. Um, we had a lot less passes than we usually do. And with the red card, we managed seven shots still. However, only one on target, which has been kind of the story of our season so far. Um, and even after having a player player sent off, we made le- less tackles than usual. With us having less possession than usual, Middlesbrough had more possession. And their pass succession was a lot higher than usual, f- f- going from 72% to 87%. Um, They had more shots. They had 14 shots compared to our seven. However, we both only had one on target, probably meaning we were quite lucky. And they did win more tackles than usual, but only had one safe to deal with.
1: Okay, good stuff. All right, Morgz. I'm going to come to you and ask you, why do you think Middlesbrough are suddenly playing better?
2: Well, so yeah, before they played us, they'd only had two wins in 14 games. Since they played us, they've won six and 12. Now. With six of those wins have come in the last nine games, which is fairly ominous for anything. Um, I think, you know, you sort of look at the comparison in their games. uh, You know, one in particular, West Brom, you know, second in the league. In October, they lost them 1-0 at home. Uh, At the end of December, they beat them 2-0 away. So, I mean, market improvement there. Um, uh, They were using the back three... Uh, up to october but they went back to a back four but i think in i've just sort of looked in the last few games they seem to be back at a back three again um but they have been using their top scorer ashley fletcher far more as a starter now he's very much the focal point of their uh their attacks but you know beforehand he was much more of a sub uh an impact sub um yeah, going back to uh, you know using the, the West Brom game as an example, um, when they lost them at home, they only managed to put 260 passes together. And a lot of those were backward ones. But when they played them away, you know, they played 315 passes, you know, with looking at the stats, 238 of them were forward passes and 12 were key, you know, as opposed to, you know, only eight in the previous game, which, you know... When you look at that sort of thing, you realise that Woodgate has gone in and said, right, this isn't working. We really need to up our game. We know what we're playing against. And so we need to correct our style because other teams are able to deal with ours very easily. So whilst we may play a lot more passes in our games, you know, and obviously a lot of those go side to side and average about six feet each one. But he's seen that passing is key in this league you can't just be you know hoofing the ball or whatever you need to have that so i think you know this will be an interesting test for us because you know woodgate's in a similar position to parker they're both new managers and they whilst parker has all the pressure of getting full promoted woodgate is in a position where yes they do want to go up but they also know that they're not a squad that's going to be challenging straight away, whereas Parker doesn't have that leniency or uh, you know around him so I think this will be it'll be an interesting test um and I think you know we will see it will be a good game obviously Middlesbrough have up the up their game in recent weeks and so we have to make sure that we follow on from last week's good win deal with the injury to Metro and start making sure that we're putting off on these games that are tricky encounters they're not easy games and we need to be getting these points as we go
1: towards the business end of the season I think if we we are missing Metro for for a period of time which it seems very likely that we're going to then if if we if we manage to pull some results out of the bag and we're still in contention then it, it can only further Scott Parker's grip on his job because to have your your best player and all those goals taken out the team yet to carry on performing and uh, well, well, I'm not going to say performing, let's say getting results um because, I, I've, you know, arguably the performances haven't, haven't been thrilling this season, even if, you know, they've, they've done a job. Um Then I, I think it's, it, it makes it very difficult to, to remove him. And I don't want him to be removed. I, I want him to have the whole season. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how he gets on because he conducted himself as a, as a, a really good professional as a player, and I think he's 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 done nothing to make me dislike him as a manager, other than bore me to tears a bit at times with his style of football. But I think that will come. I I I still think that you know the 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 style of football and um I don't know the the flair will come.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I was... totally agree. I mean, I would not want him to see. I would don't want to see him removed. You know, before the end of the season. <clears throat> um, ideally. He'll use this season as a you know, as an experience and mm-hmm. realize what went right, what went wrong, uh, whichever league we happen to be in. And, you know, obviously if he doesn't get us promoted, his job is very insecure. If he mm-hmm. does get us promoted, you still have to think that the Khan's will look at it and go, Is he still the right man for the job? Mm-hmm. Because obviously they're gonna want to kick on and not have the repeat of the season, last season in the Premier League. But I think it would be uh one of birds I think it'd be stupid to sack him uh, mm. we're not going to bring in anyone now who's going to make any you know uh impact on the transfer window um if any you know coach were to do such a thing with um, tony in charge of that so i don't think we would gain anything from replacing him and i think he's shown whilst not playing the prettiest football looking a bit lackluster at times that he can still get results. And I think the players respect exactly. him. As you say, he's not sort of one of these managers that you look at and dislike. He's not a Pardew or a you know, Poulos or anything like that. He's one of these guys that is so level-headed that you're sort of borderline boring. Um, but he is, you know, he has a footballing brain. And you just hope that given the amount of time, uh, well, given the time to sort of, you know, learn at Fulham, he will become a proper manager a properly good manager so fingers crossed that he is sort of allowed that time rather than you know sacking just on the whim
0: yeah i i was going to say um there was points where i was kind of not sure on parker and the big the one that stood out for me where i wasn't sure was the brentford away game because i went and it was the performance was really bad like that that's all you can say it was really bad but i've I looked at the table after the whole game yesterday and with West Brom and Leeds starting to drop points that are only you know, we're only seven points off second, and you know, that's still a couple of wins and a draw that we need to gain and they need to lose. That that's not a bad position to be in at yeah. all. And Brentford are a point above us at the minute, but a point's a point, you know, any that can change very easily. And it honestly it just takes a few results to go our way and you know, obviously we're not. Well, I mean, who knows? But we're not going to do a Slav again and go. You know, however many unbeaten. But w- we're still in the automatic promotion race, a hundred percent.
1: I don't think. There's got any- think as well, we've we've been there or thereabouts yeah. all season. Brentford have just climbed up above us, yeah. but I think I think they'll fade away eventually. They're a good side, but they mm-hmm. they yet to have their uh, their iffy spell, and every every team has it. Whereas even throughout our, our iffy spells and where we've lost um, a few games on the bounce, we've still had enough points to still keep us in the mix. We'll be there or thereabouts at the end of the season, 100%. I,
2: I mean, yeah. you know, going back to sort of Parker, I'm not sure there's anyone out there who thought he was 100% right man for the job. I just think, you know, after... It was a bit like, you know, after McGat got sacked. You know, after Ranieri was sacked, it was just like, you know, just get someone in to steady mm. the ship. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was... You know, it was a, it was an interesting choice, given his lack of experience. But I think we don't want to be one of these clubs that is continually sort of sacking their managers.
1: No.
2: And we've had that. You know, when things are going wrong, the cans panic and fire the guy. You know, that season mm. where we went down, where we finished with McGat. You know, that was a absolute clusterfuck of a season. Mm. You know, stability, because of all the managerial stability stuff. Is
1: the stability is definitely the key. I, yeah. I wonder as well, just. Just looking back a little bit further when uh when Tigana was uh was sacked and Chris Coleman was brought in. If we'd have gone down that season with Chris Coleman, I don't know whether he would have brought us back up or not. I don't I don't know whether he's a good enough manager to have done that, but he was given a, a pretty good team mm-hmm. and um carried on that momentum, and we ended up having a really good season and Saha was scoring goals for fun, and you know, we we I think we finished in ninth or whatever it was, and we were fourth at Christmas. Um, you know, in 20, 30 years time, when we look back, who's going to, who will be regarded as the better manager, Chris Coleman or Scott Parker? I don't know. because We don't know I, quite how Scott Park is going to work out, but I know who I'd probably put more money on.
2: And I think the thing is, these days, you know, the term manager is not used anymore. They are head coaches. Their pure purpose is dealing with the first team and mm. motivating the players that play week in, week out for the first 11 they doesn't we don't have these sort of you know all controlling managers like sort of I guess the last one to be like that anywhere in sort of England was Arsene Wenger you know and he oversaw everything you know at Arsenal but now you know these days everyone there is a person for every single job at the club and Parker is there to motivate the team, get the tactics right, and everything else is pretty much taken out of his hands. So I think as a motivator, if he still has that ability to do it and the players aren't, you know, falling out of falling out of love with him, as it were, then I don't think he should be going anywhere.
0: Yeah. I think um I read something when we were 2-0 down to Brighton last season and we won 4 2. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling it might have been Tom Kenny that said it, but he said that it was in that um, a halftime in the dressing room that it was Scott Parker that gave a massive team talk right. and got yeah. them to win that match. I remember that?
1: Right. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a brilliant yeah. match. Yeah, freezing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember. It was snowing.
2: It was the snowy match. Yeah,
1: you're right. It was. Okay. Yeah. OK, uh, well, we've gone off a bit of a tangent there, um, but I think we all agree, but Parker in. Um, I'm going to come to you both now and get a score prediction for Friday night. So, Will, I'll come to you first. Fulham, Borough, what do you think the score's going to be? Uh,
0: I think it's going to be 2-0. With Fulham. yeah, 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 yeah. 2-0 <laughs> um... Parker out. We go. <laughs> <laughs> no, 2-0 uh, Fulham. I think if Kenny does play, I think now he realises that he has more of a point to prove I think Kearney could put in a great performance because he, he was on the bench for the whole game and I know he wasn't a hundred percent fit, but the fact that he didn't come on or anything like that, he, he knows he has a point to proof, mm. which hopefully means he'll be, you know, playing the passes round and creating a good amount of chances.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think he would have been up for that game as well, to be honest, against his old side, his old stomping ground
0: at Hull. Yeah, he, yeah. he does like playing against old clubs. He scored against yeah. Blackburn, didn't he? That's right.
1: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. A um, couple of times, actually. All right, Morgz, what are you, Richard? Um I'm going to go
2: with uh, 3-2 for them. I think, you know, there's been a bit of a history of sort of, you know, at Craven College anyway, of some sort of uh, ding-dong matches between the two of us. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Friday night, under the lights, I think, uh, you know, it could do with a, you know, a reemergence for of a classic Kenny performance if he does start. It's mm-hmm. been a while since we've seen a proper one. So, you know, let's be confident. I think it will be uh, a good open game. Uh, yeah, let's go 3-2. Let's go That's a good one.
1: Basically, complete contrast to the reverse fixture then.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we're not going to have a keeper sent yeah. off after, yeah. you know, a couple of minutes. I us <laughs> okay. say we're not.
1: <laughs> Fingers crossed. Okay, I'm. I'm going to go two nil as well. I think. Um. I think it will be quite a straightforward one. Looking at their form, I don't know, but let's let's keep the faith and go two nil. All right. Well, that's your lot for this week. Thanks to you all for listening at home. Morgs, thanks, mate. Pleasure as always. Thank you very much. And Will, you'll be there Friday night in the usual spot, I presume.
0: Yes. Yes. Of course. Don't forget Cheers to enough. check the Instagrams. Check the stories.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely do. Will does the Instagram, so make sure if you're on Instagram, do you what are we at full and focus or something? Full and focus, Probably. just
0: just full and focus. Yeah. Just full full and focus. Focus. I'm so
1: not down with the kids. Just full <laughs> and focus. Give us give us a cheeky follow, why not? Well, a win will put us four points off the top two on Friday night if we if we get it. Um because obviously everyone else plays on Saturday. So uh, Leeds, we're coming for you. See you soon. Cheers.